0: Righto, so um, for, for the River Life folk, we, we actually record this message. It not only goes up on the web, but in a week or two's time, uh, the Church of Christ at Bonjean used this message. Um, so if everyone wants to shout, hello, Bonjean, yeah, they might hear you. Hello, Hopefully they heard that. Today we're having a combined service with River Life Church of Christ and they've been studying the book of Romans and today's reading is Romans chapter 5 verse 20 through to chapter 6 verse 14. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where the sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Righto. So when I was a teenager, and yes, uh, that was way back in the last century, um, my parents, in a moment of generous decadence, lashed out, And they shouted our family out to uh, have a dinner at a restaurant called Wise's Restaurant in Toowoomba. Now, is anyone else here old enough to remember Wise's Restaurant? It's it's stuff of legends, isn't it? (laughs) Stuff of legends. Um, And for me, that was the first time that I'd ever been to an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord restaurant. And um, yes, you probably think I've been to a fair few since then. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, um, it was good quality tucker. It, it wasn't like most boards that you go to. and uh, no, no dispersions on the Asian Pearl, but, I mean, the Asian Pearl and Wiser's are sort of in two different categories. Asian Pearl, love it, but Wiser's is like, wow, wow. And because it was such good quality tucker and because it was pretty expensive and because I was a boy and a teenage boy at that, and I was a growing country lad, and let's be blunt, just because I'm a Brumpton, I felt it was pretty much my duty to make sure that my parents got their money's worth. Okay, so I just went back time and time again. I filled my plate up over and over and over again, and I tried my best to keep up with my brother. I failed. He, he could eat a lot more than me. Um, during the night, I ate so much, and I felt so sick, and I wanted to do it again. That's just the way it is. Uh, these days, I, I don't really enjoy all-you-can-eat restaurants because I feel cheated, because I get to one plateful and, and I'm busted. I just, I just can't eat anymore. But But sometimes, even though we know that it's not good for us, we take things to excess, simply because we feel we can, and... That's the way human nature is. Uh, we take a good thing for granted and then we abuse it. And sometimes we're even like that when it comes to the grace of God. Um, and so we get we get tempted to sin, but we don't always really feel, oh, I don't really need to fight against it that much. Oh, I'm actually I'm actually going to feel good if I do that. Oh, I really want to do that. And I don't fight it hard enough because, you know what? God will forgive me. Yeah, he will forgive me. And, and so it's sort of like having an, an endless smorgasbord of grace. But if the more I sin, the more grace I receive, does that mean it's actually okay for me to go on sinning? Um, it, because it, it's good to receive grace. Because I sin, I ask for forgiveness, I get forgiven. More grace, that's good. Is that okay? And Paul answers this question. And I've done a very careful translation from the Greek of what Paul said, and it goes pretty much like this: Not on your Nelly. He, sorry, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Died. Died. Um, Has Has anyone here? Ever died? Now, I'm not talking about having a near-death experience where your heart stopped and then they gave you a jump start. I'm not talking about that. Has anyone here died? Well, let me put it another way. Has anyone here been baptised? Anyone been baptised? Put your hand up if you've been baptised. Right, well, you've died. Um... You see, in baptism, we are baptised into Christ. We're baptised into union with Christ. We're united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. The two key things of Christ we're baptised into, his death and his resurrection. Okay, so if we've died, what does that look like? I mean, it doesn't mean that our breathing we stop breathing and our heart shut down. When you were baptised, you went down under the water. And this is a symbol that you died and were buried together with Christ. And provided the person who did the deed was gracious enough to let you up again within three minutes, um, when you come back up out of the water, this is a symbol of you rising again to life with Christ. But, But Paul's telling us here, that baptism is more than a symbol. There is something about you that did actually die in the whole coming to faith and being baptised event. And if that, if that thing didn't die, then there's something severely deficient in your conversion experience. What he's telling us is that our old self was crucified with Jesus. Not just the sinful part of us, not just the little bit of us that we didn't like. Our whole self, our old self, Paul refers to it as the body of sin. That's what's been crucified with Jesus. Uh, John says this, he says, What was crucified with Christ was not a part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. Now, this is important for us to understand. Before you became a Christian, you were so far gone. You were such a mess. You were so not just influenced by sin, but you were ruled by sin. And so much so, there was nothing worth saving. Now, it's not very popular to say something like that today. Uh, The popular humanist notion is oh, everybody has some good in them. And, and, and all we have got to do is find that the good inside of that person and, and love their good and develop their good and, and cherish their good and help them to work on their good and then they'll be better. And, and, and if there's any bad, well, that'll get sorted out as they become more good. What a load of rubbish. In the act of coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the act of baptism... Our old sinful body is put to death with Jesus. Why? Because we were so corrupt. All right. So if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, it means we're no longer slaves to sin. We used to be ruled over by sin because we were slaves to sin. We were captured by sin. And there was no way that we could break free from it. Uh, if, if we tried to do the right thing, we couldn't. Our very attitude toward God was sin itself. Now, now, that's that's the way it used to be, but not any longer, because we are no longer enslaved to sin. Secondly, to be united with Jesus also means... We live with Jesus. Jesus hasn't left us alone. And being a Christian, it's not a dreary, dead experience. How could being a Christian be dreary and dead when the author of life is living inside of us by the Holy Spirit? And to live with Jesus, it's a full life. It's a life of love. It's a life of power. And it's a life eternal. There is no death. A dead person can't die, right? We've already died. We died with Christ. We've been brought to get to life again with Christ. Yes, we'll have a physical death at some point, unless Jesus returns before then. But we're not going to spiritually die because we've come alive in Christ. And so we have eternal life. Thirdly, to be united with Jesus means just as Jesus died to sin, so do we. Which leads us straight into the fourth one. We move from death to life. Now, the life Jesus lives, he lives to God. And this is where the rubber really hits the road for us. Because we are united with Christ, we also must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Verse 4 set the scene for this by giving us an image of walking in newness of life. Not walking in sameness of life, walking in newness of life. Um, If we're raised with Christ, we cannot be the same as we once were. Our lives are totally new. And to demonstrate this, Paul gives us a commandment. In verse 12, he says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. We cannot keep on sinning. Verse 2 said, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, how we take that, depends on whether Paul is giving us a command or whether he's stating a fact. All right? and, and that's the problem with posing a rhetorical question, which that one is. He's asking the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Is he giving us a command or is he stating a fact? If he's giving us a command... The command would be, we Christians should realise that we must not live in sin. He's telling us, don't do it. Don't live in sin. But then some folk would argue, no, no, it's, it's not a command. It's a statement of the way things are. We Christians are no longer able to live in sin. In essence, they would be telling us, if you find yourself living in sin, well, that means you're not a real Christian. Because if you were a real Christian then it would be impossible for you to fall into sin. So in other words, is living in sin a possibility to be avoided or an impossibility to be recognised? And the way that Paul continues on in this letter, he leaves us with absolutely no doubt that he's using this as a command. We Christians must realise that we must not live in sin. By the way, um, when Paul uses the phrase living in sin, he's not talking about stumbling. He's not talking about tripping up with, with occasional wrongdoing because that happens to all of us, doesn't it? Or is it only me? Does other people trip up and, and sin occasionally and, or often? A few people, are, three of you do. Okay. Well, the rest of you, yes, will pray for your redemption. Um, but so he's not talking about, when he talks about living in sin, he's not talking about stumbling. He's not talking about tripping up. He's talking about embracing a lifestyle of sin. He's talking about having an habitual practice of sin such that one's life could be said to be characterised by that sin rather than being characterised by the righteousness of God, right? So as Christians, we must not live a life of sin, whether it be a life of greed or whether it be a life of lust or whether it be a life of pride or whether it be a life filled with worldliness or a life of selfishness or a life of bitterness, or a life of anger, or a life of unforgiveness. We must not live a life of sin. But now, at this point, some of you might say to him, now hang on a minute, Michael, that reeks of legalism. And I understand that reaction. Over the last few chapters of Romans, Paul has been building up his argument. He's been making, it, making his point and making it very clear that we can never be good enough. He's been making it very clear that I can't get myself sinless. I can't stop sinning and therefore I need a saviour because any righteousness of my own isn't good enough. I need the righteousness of Jesus. And so we have to rely on the grace of God. Our righteousness just doesn't cut it. And if I try to make myself right with God by being a very good little boy, guess what? I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail again and again and again. We need to have the righteousness of Jesus to be made right with God. And that's what Paul has been drilling into us over the last few chapters. But now he changes tack and he says, but don't go on sinning. How does that make sense? He's been saying you can't stop sinning, you can't make yourself right. You need the righteousness of Jesus. And now he moves on. He says, "Stop sinning." How does that make sense? Well, something's changed, and I'll tell you what's changed. We used to be slaves to sin, but we're not slaves to sin anymore. Sin is not our master anymore. And telling someone who is a slave to sin not to let sin reign, that's about as useful as telling a drowning person, just swim to shore. Right? Just swim to shore and get out. They can't do it. But telling someone who has died to sin not to let sin reign is like telling somebody who's been plucked from the sea into a lifeboat, don't jump back in. You see the difference? And so what we're talking about here is obedience within faithfulness. Right? We are saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved us from sin. So let's not do it anymore. We honour him with obedience and righteous living. So. I guess the next question that then comes up is, does this obedience to God happen naturally or is it something we have to work at? And the truth is, it, it, it's both. And it's not naturally, it's supernaturally. See, before you were saved, before I was saved, we, we didn't really care if, if we were obeying God or not. You think of ordinary old Joe Blow sinner, who lives next door or works for you or, or whatever. He swears, he curses, he takes the Lord's name in vain. He's, he's, basically, he's a sinner. He might be no no worse than anybody else. He just does the same thing as everybody else. Lives with his girlfriend. He, he whatever. Do you think that at the end of the day, as he's going to bed, he goes, oh, I hope I please God during the day. Of course not. He's not concerned about being obedient to God at all. But the Holy Spirit inside of us makes us want to obey God. True. The the spiritual person, the person who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, has a supernatural urging to walk in the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit. And if you and I don't have an overwhelming desire to obey God, then we've got a severe spiritual problem. Now, that's pretty challenging. If I don't have an overwhelming desire to be obedient to God, I've got an enormous spiritual problem. But even so... As we read the Scriptures, we very quickly realise that obedience to God is also something that we have to work at, even within this this one reading here. Verse 12 says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That means don't give in to, to following the passions of your worldly desires. Verse 13 says, Don't present your members. What are your members? your hands, your your feet, your your arms, your legs, your eyes, your mouth, your tongue, and and the bits of us we try to keep hidden, our bits. Don't present your members, your appendages, as instruments or tools of unrighteousness. Remember remember the old kid's song? My kid's songs aren't near as as, um, exciting as Derek's. German kid's songs, wow. Wow. Remember the old kids' song? Be careful, little hands, what you do. Anyone? Anyone remember that? Oh, one person remembers it. Okay, two people remember it. I mean, we've got two people here. Yeah, third person remembers it. Thank you, thank you, Nathan. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little hands, what you do. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. Don't let your, your body. Be used as a tool for unrighteousness. Do, however, I like the way that he sort of gives the negative and then the positive. Do, however, present yourself to God and do present your members. Do give to God your, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your tongue as tools of righteousness. As the great sage Maxwell Smart would say, if only they could be used for good instead of evil. We've got one one get smart lover there. Excellent. And, you know, when we start talking about obedience, um, often obedience just gets viewed as a great burden. But obedience is found... As we come alive to God and becoming alive to God um, isn't just something that we do in our minds right we, we don't just think about coming alive to God it's not just a nice little devotional thought that we have oh I'm alive to God that's exciting I'll keep going. I'll just go and live my life as I was um, coming alive to God isn't just in our minds it's It's a whole new life, a completely new life. And in life, we don't just think about things. When we come alive to God, our bodies become tools for God. And praise the Lord, it's grace that makes this possible. Verses 14 and 15 express a concept. Uh, They tell us that we are not under law, but we're under grace. Are we all familiar with this concept? We've heard this many times, I'm assuming. Most of us have. Now, I reckon 99 out of 100 times that I've heard that verse quoted, we're not under law, we're under grace, it gets used at some level as an excuse. And the excuse is... It doesn't matter so much if I get sin. I'm not under law, I'm under grace, so I'll be forgiven. And that is a complete misrepresentation of what Paul is saying. Because what he is saying is we use our bodies for good instead of evil because we're under grace. You see, if we were still living under law, every time we stumble. And every time we sinned, it would be an utter disaster. Under law, I would be deserving of devastating punishment over and over and over again. What's the wages of sin? What does sin earn? Death. I would be deserving of death over and over and over again if I was living under the law. And that's why under the old covenant law, they would have to sacrifice animals over and over and over again. The temple was basically a slaughterhouse. And they would have to do this because every little sin would take us straight back to square one again. I would become a sinner deserving of death. Well, let's kill another sheep or bull or whatever... It is that sin required. And I'd leave from there, stump my the toe, curse God, back to square one again. But because we're not living under the law anymore, because we are now living under grace, the Lord is patient with us. Um, the blood of Jesus is more powerful. Christ was killed once for the forgiveness of sins. No longer is sacrifice required over and over and over again. Because we're now living under grace, the Lord is patient. And and when I mess up, when we mess up, we can have every confidence that he will forgive us as we confess our sins and repent. We can have every confidence that he won't give up on us and that he won't desert us and that he won't take his Holy Spirit from us and that he will Continue to work on us, and that He will continue to to refine us, and purify us, and perfect us, and to make Him into the make us into the new creations that He wants us to be, because that's what it means to live in grace. But let's never take God's amazing grace for granted. We've died to sin. We can't go living in, go on living in it. Now, to finish up, I just want to say this. Now, don't you you love it when pastors say, when preachers say, to finish up, and then they talk another 10 minutes? (laughs) We'll see, we'll see. Now, for most folk, when they read a passage like this one, it's very easy for us to find ourselves focusing on our own failures and to walk away with the attitude, I'm not good enough. I've failed God, I've been living in sin, Um, and that wretched preacher, he's just been telling me that I have to try harder to be a better person. Well, I, I just can't. Stinking preacher. But what I want to encourage today is to come alive to God, to walk in the newness of life. And to experience the freedom that God has given us, our old self was crucified so that the body of sin, that's the the tools of unrighteousness, would be brought to nothing. And God has brought us from death to life. And in this new life, we present ourselves to him. By the time you get to the end of Romans, it'll be a fair while, I'd say, before you get to Romans chapter 12 where Paul tells us to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That spiritual worship is when we present our bodies to God. And in this new life, we present ourselves to him, to to live for God, and, and we commit every part of our body as tools for serving God. And when we do that, when we present ourselves to God as instruments or tools of righteousness, it's pretty hard for us to, at the same time, be tools of unrighteousness. When, when the Lord becomes our everything, when he's our all in all, sin loses all appeal. And so it, it's not a matter of of the wretched preacher telling us, stop doing it. What the preacher should be telling you is start doing it. Start doing this. Come alive to God. Walk in the newness of life. Be a tool of righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the depth of this passage today is great, and we've only just touched on it. Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us. Forgive us for treating your grace at times as cheap. Forgive us for walking in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Forgive us for using our bodies as tools for unrighteousness and for using your endless grace as an excuse for sinning. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to walk in the newness of life that you have saved us to, honouring you, honouring you as our Lord and our God with every part of our body and with every part of our being as we live in Christ and for Christ. Amen.